Welcome to the Business Extra. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor-in-Chief here in Abu Dhabi. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of energy, and in particular, the role of humans, people, in the energy transition. We're going to talk to Dr. Angela Wilkinson, the Secretary-General of the World Energy Council. Before we do that, if you like this show, please do subscribe. If you're on YouTube, ring that bell. Well, as I said, I'm very happy to say that with us in the studio is Dr. Angela Wilkinson, the Secretary-General of the World Energy Council, a global body that represents the industry. But I was interested to see that it's an organization that is almost 100 years old, which means that the organization would have dealt with quite a few energy transitions already before this one we're, we're looking at right now. Angela, thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here with an, at the National today. And although we are 100 years old and we've lived through many different energy transitions, I would also say we're broader than the energy industry, that we're a community of communities of deeply local and globally networked energy interests. So so your members, I mean, as far as I, I would imagine off the top of my head, your members would be the big oil and gas producers. But when you say communities within communities, does that mean that your, your membership goes deeper than that into sort of the grassroots? Well, 100 years ago, we were formed at the, age, at the end of empire and at the rise of nation states to overcome national interests in energy, to ensure that there wouldn't be a global war and that energy would contribute to peace. And we've operated through 100 years as a community of diverse energy interests, business, government, civil society, producers, consumers, activists, investors, so we're, we're the, what I'd call the and rather than the but community. It's not about climate versus energy. It's about climate and energy security. So I, I would describe us more as a community than an industry. In 2022, it seems that every um, issue or argument or topic is about which side you're on. But it seems that the council is trying to, to find common ground. I mean, how popular or unpopular does that make you at the moment? Well, I think you're right in that we're seeing a much more polarised and fragmented leadership landscape with diverse energy interests and a lot more competition and conflict. But as I say, we've existed for 100 years to create a safe and open space which includes diverse interests at the table. And we promote an and rather than a but rather than a versus agenda. And I would say there's three sides in energy, energy transition. And we would call that the energy trilemma. You have to think about security, affordability and decarbonisation at every level of society if we are going to manage a transition that is for everyone. So right now, if, if we see what's happening in Europe, in the US, certain parts of the world, uh, the, the main focus of the conversation around energy is, is access to affordable energy. And the fact that prices are, have been rising significantly, partly as a result of the fallout from COVID, but also this year with the with the war in Ukraine has added to the stress. But there's been you know other factors to do with the industry that have held back you know this kind of access. But it, it, when we talk about the trilemma, when we talk about the energy transition, is that what we're talking about? Managing to ensure that everybody has access to energy, not just access. At the moment, the way we actually measure and account for access, whether it's in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals or in our own World Energy Trilemma framework, is to me unacceptable in terms of really providing better and decent lives for everybody. For example, if one household in a 
community has an electricity connection for lighting, that counts as access to the whole community. Whereas that's not enough energy for people to cook. It's not enough energy for people to refrigerate, for them to have cold chains for vaccines. So we want an energy transition that enables access to useful and usable energy for everyone. And the trilemma is about you can't manage energy just by attention to one metric carbon. You've got to think about security, affordability and decarbonisation and increasingly with attention to resilience and justice. So the the resilience is about dealing with whatever crises come up, being able to ensure that we have the stability. The security is, you know, not suddenly finding ourselves essentially in the situation that the UK is in right now, where they don't know if they're going to have, uh, you know, access to affordable, you know, wholesale gas or electricity. Um, and then the 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 inclusivity, the equity, equity was it equity? Um, aspect that you're mentioning, so I couldn't say that right there. Um, the equity aspect to it is ensuring no matter what community you're in or what strata of society that you you get that because if we you know if we say that access to the internet is a human right, for example, or access to um, you know electricity in general, um, then you have to ensure that everybody has that no matter no matter what. And whose responsibility is that? Is that the government? Is that the energy companies? It, who you know who should be championing this is it you know the the world energy council who should be doing it because that's kind of the ping pong debate right now of of who should be leading yeah. leading this so we we have different ways of organizing societies i mean we have governments who can set up regulation and they can create the enabling conditions for markets we have markets as a way of organizing which is really where price provides the 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 conversation between different actors but we still have a third way of organising, which is community. And far too often in energy transition, I hear this dialogue about governments and or businesses, you know, governments versus businesses, states versus markets, governments and businesses. But where's the community voice? And I think that the resilience of humanity is that we have complexity in the way we're organised. And the strength of humanity is if we want to be adaptable, let's use all three ways of organising at the table to find new solutions together. Interesting you say community because that definitely is is kind of missing from from the debate at the moment. Um, right now it's it's all about who should be paying the price mm -hmm. for 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 kind of where we're at with 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 energy. Which is a markets framed conversation. If you have a government framed conversation, they'll be talking about what, how do we allocate energy between those who need? Who needs it most? Who's vulnerable? Who's not got access? Who's got most access? Who deserves most access? Where do we get the biggest bang for our buck as a national economy through investment? So that, that's how governments, they try to regulate between the winners and the losers. Markets try to have that conversation about prices. But communities have different conversations about energy. And that's really also um, a missing voice across the world in these um, in the COP negotiations on climate change, in the food negotiations on food security and in the energy negotiations on energy security. And we want climate security, we want energy security, but we also need human development and security. So we need communities at the table. And will communities be empowered through essentially the technology being put in their hands? Is that is that how it will work? Or is it a regulation 
issue? I mean, how, how do you ensure that they, they get that voice or they get that leverage? Well, we, we have four. Um, we're 100 years old, so we're coming forward with four centenary, cam- centenary campaigns. We think there are four things that need to be done to close the implementation gap to involve people and diverse communities in this discourse. The first is energy uh, literacy. We have to include voices. We have to help people understand the choices they have for balancing security, affordability and decarbonisation. And we also have to give them a transparent framework for holding leaders to account. So then we have the World Energy Trilemma framework of what are the metrics that we can use that also support the conversations between business, governments and communities. And we also have um, my favourite saying is, the next big thing in energy is not a big global technology moonshot. After all, only 11 men have been to the moon so far. It's a hundreds of thousands of place-based energy transitions involving people and communities at all levels. So cities, big and small, rural communities, large and small, and also lots of other types of communities that are organising around energy transition. So if I use the... the example of electric cars Mm -hmm. almost electric cars are being marketed as an individual's way to exercise that power to say i'm i'm gonna help the planet by not using a combustion engine car and i'm gonna make this choice but it almost seems that sort of is beside the point it's not about an individual making a choice but it's rather about a group of people being able to to kind of determine their direction of their future and and then with the electric cars, it can be packaged really well in a marketing exercise. But really, if you think about it, it's affecting communities down the line when it comes to the resources required to build them, but also that you actually are needing more electricity. And that electricity may not be produced in a net zero manner anyway. So I feel like we're almost going down the wrong line of conversations. And it's, to your point, because we're kind of stuck in that old it's about the individual and the consumer choice when it's more about larger groups of people getting in on it. And the system choice, right? We're changing a whole system which involves people, technologies, governments, businesses, hopes and fears, geographies and technologies, right? It's a system. So if I take the electric vehicle conversation out of context, which is often where it finishes, is people go, oh, I feel better. I've got, a, I've got an electric vehicle. I've, I've done my bit for the climate. Well, where's the electricity coming for the electric vehicle? You have to start thinking about what's the supply? Is that supply coming from a coal-fired power station with carbon offset or not? Is it coming from gas with CCUS or not, right? Is it coming from renewable? And if it's coming from renewables, where's the construction materials from those renewables coming from? Where's the lithium being mined? Where's the battery coming from? Is it being recycled? So the simple thing is you can say, I'm, net, I'm a net zero hero because I drive an electric vehicle. I would say you'd be better off being a trilemma titan than a net zero hero because you're starting to join the dots, not just between you and your choices, but between energy and society. And that's where we have to manage transition. The relationship between energy and society, not just individuals and consumer products. So how, how do I start sort of my journey to becoming a trilemma titan? A trilemma titan. Um, So first of all is, do you understand how much energy you use? Do you understand the security, the affordability and the sustainability aspects of that? 
And not everybody wants to be able to have to be bothered with making conscious choices about everything. So in the same way as we've done it with every other system, as we digitalize, we can automate some of those choices, but at least we would have some form of framework for helping us understand whether we're getting a green tick, an amber question mark, or a big red flag. And at the moment, people are almost sleepwalking into the future. They're picking up the, what I would call the, the lowest hanging fruit, taking it out of context, and then that's not really contributing to the scale and speed of challenge that we have to face. Okay, so there's that literacy aspect you mm -hmm. talked about. So understanding better how things work. And let's say I know that, then, then every choice is informed in that way. But sometimes it's structural. There's, I can't do anything about it. Yeah, so we run, we don't just, you know, literacy is one, but there's also place-based transitions. You know, you can't move energy transition top down. You can't push it through technology and investment alone. Energy transition involves societal transformation. To get societal transformation going rather than resistance, you've got to involve people and communities in conversation. So we're, we're piloting with cities that have conventionally been oil and gas capitals. How do they move their society into that future? What becomes the blockers and enablers? What are the choices? What are the misunderstandings? And we try and make that fun so we don't throw... 9 million techno-economic analysis at these communities, we involve them in some form of simulation so they start to see where are their choices, how are they making their decisions, how does it affect other people, what's the right way through. If I use the word gaming, then people in policy think I'm not serious, but actually we learn a lot through play and we through, learn a lot through interaction with each other. So we run a lot of place-based interactive engagements to get communities through transition. And, you know, the point of communities is that this isn't just a European or a US dynamic. And there's been, I remember at the last, the COP26 meeting, the, the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi made the point of, you know, we're, we're in a development stage. You're asking us to potentially risk our development, how the future of our people for after, for the the sake of essentially your historic development that we're now paying the price for. So does, to a certain extent, would thinking about communities help uh, reduce the friction when it comes to different parts of the world and sort of the developing world feeling as if they're being dictated to by the developed world? I, I hope so. But I actually think we live, if I take it out of the, the political discourse, I think we live in a world today where people don't want to be told by their leaders what the future will be. They want their leaders to enable them to realise their own hopes and dreams and to play their part in it. And I think that's that's a question of not being so top down. Even, you know, benign paternalism can be suppressing at some point. It's about enabling the bottom up as well. But enabling the bottom up also to be better coordinated, not some form of random walk. So I I don't disagree that there there are there are, there is an unevenness and that there there is there are many different starting points. And that's why the emphasis for us would be that there's multiple energy transitions. And diversity in energy is increasing. And that's a source of learning and innovation if we use it in the right way. If we keep talking about technology innovation and how do we get to big through technology and capital alone, we'll miss out on the opportunity to improve seven to eight billion lives worldwide. And I think that's the biggest energy transition opportunity. It's not a transition for the energy industry. It's not a transition for capital markets. It's a transition for modern energy societies. 
Dr. Angela Wilkinson from the World Energy Council. Thanks so much for being with us. Super. Well, that's all we've got time for today. All that remains to thank our production team and you all for being with us. Please do join us again next time.